真皮。This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is not Bill Newman. This is Jeff Napolitano. I am sitting in for Bill Newman. Uh, Bill, uh, at the beginning of the afternoon yesterday, uh, after hearing about the death of the Queen, immediately jumped on a plane and is uh, is on his way. Actually, he's probably at um, Buckingham Palace right now yes. as we speak, paying his respects um, to uh, the big, the big uh, news. Uh, News item of the day, the, the the or of yesterday at least, the the death of Queen Elizabeth. Um, I don't know that we have uh, many, a lot of things to say about that. Um, the best take that I saw was that you know she was a a loving wife to her husband and cousin, and uh, raised multiple um, pedophiles <laughs> as her children, which she loved, but. Um, uh, yeah, I, I have a different take about the Queen of England than uh, than the adoring press at the moment. But my takeaway on my show on the river today was the Dalai Lama mourned her in a very uh, grace gracious way, and that I will I'll just say that I'll leave it at that. Okay, that's yeah, very Buddhist. not a, not a huge fan of monarchy. Yes, yeah, but I don't like when you know it's sad when people die. That's sad when people yeah. die. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. I think you'd look good with a crown on your head, though, Monty. I just want to say. King Monty, I think it has a nice ring to it. And that is the voice of Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Uh, full disclosure, my union, actually. So he's your president. He's my he's president. He's like your king. He's like my, my king. King Max the first. Yep. Uh, so welcome, Max. Um, Good morning. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that Monty should have a crown. Yeah, maybe I'll wear it on the food bank march this year. I haven't done that before. I'll dress as the Burger King, which is the official monarch <laughs> of the U.S. of A. Yeah. I'll take that. Okay, so Max, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the goings-on in Massachusetts and the education world and the union world and so on and so forth. Um, now that the primaries are over, the next big thing that everybody's going to get into the uh, ballot box? No, not into the ballot box. Um, what's the when you get polling it? station? The polling station. When when the next time the people getting to their polling stations, um, there's a very important thing that's going to be on the ballot. Um, and do you want to, uh, you know, uh, lead us through what that is? Sure. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yes, they. It's a really incredible opportunity. Really, once in a generation chance um, to fix our tax system and raise permanent funds, yearly funds for public schools, colleges, and transportation. Call the fair share amendment. Actually, more importantly now, it is question one on the November 8 ballot. Question one is the one that we are um, been working on and advocating for. So essentially, uh, what it raises taxes only on income, yearly income over $1 million. And the proceeds from that small increase on the very wealthiest would go to, it would be constitutionally mandated to go to public schools, public higher education, and roads, bridges, and public transportation. Uh, we have, as many people, some many people know, but many people don't know, we are a flat tax state. We all pay 5% state income tax as opposed to a progressive tax, whereas you, you know, like the federal taxes, where the, the, the more you make, the higher percentage you pay. We have a flat tax. So all we're doing is adding one new tax bracket only for income over $1 million. You have to have a salary, you have to have income more than a million dollars a year. Um, and 
in order to actually even be touched by this tax. So this is truly asking the basically half of 1%, not even the 1%, half of 1% of tax filers, the very, very wealthiest, to pay a little bit more so we can have better schools and colleges and transportation systems. All right. Okay. So many, I have many, many questions, and uh, I can, I can already hear the 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 opponents of um, the arguments of opponents to this. Um, but you you mentioned that the re the results of uh, whatever comes in from uh, the this tax is going to go to public schools and public transportation. Um, so what is that? What will that mean um, in terms of like you know estimates and the effect upon? education um i mean roads you know uh, the, the dot is doing pretty well they've got a bunch of money particularly from the um the uh, infrastructure bill i know that there's you know billions and billions of dollars that's going to that but what is it going to look like um it seems like public schools could use the money what is it going to look like in public schools well that's all to be determined i mean what what this does is it 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 writes into the constitution the state constitution that there will be this tax and it must be dedicated to these general areas. But then each year, the legislature will have to make those commitments. Uh, what's so important, uh, you mentioned uh, the funds that we've had for their transportation. There's been, there were funds during the pandemic for schools and colleges, all that was great. It was also one-time money. What this does is builds in a permanent source of funding so that we can make long-term investments. Otherwise, um, as you've been hearing the political debate, they'll say, well, Let's well, we can fix this one piece because um, but we can't actually hire new educators. We can't actually make a permanent commitment for debt free public higher education because we don't know whether where the money will come from in the future. Well, now we have um, a way to raise upwards of two billion dollars is the latest estimates from the Mass Budget and Policy Center. Two billion dollars every year that has to go into these areas. OK, so. This is going to go um, to the public K through 12 system. It's going to go through the public higher education system, presumably. Exactly. I, I mean, it, what happens is essentially the when we win it on November 8th, um, then starting January 1, that new tax will go into effect and the very wealthiest will start to pay a little bit more. And then the legislature will have to make the decisions where in the, in the next budget cycle and future budget cycles, where exactly exactly that two billion dollars goes um they may make you know we obviously jeff you you were involved years ago um in this effort to get to debt-free public higher education for for our working class students can we dedicate some of that money so that we can achieve that should we you know can we dedicate some of it to have more educators um and mental health professionals and behavioral specialists and pay paraprofessionals and adjuncts faculty living wages i mean these are all the kind of commitments that we can really um, bring to fruition. Right. Uh, I was actually in the room, or one, one of the rooms, when Deval Patrick talked about uh, free community colleges. Um, and I believe that's Gov correct. Governor Patrick, yeah. you know, promised that or was going to put it in. It never quite, never quite came to fruition. But, um, but it's been it's been on the table for a very long time. Um, so certainly, as the president of the MTA, Max Page, you know, the MTA probably has specific ideas or designs about where this money might go. And um, I don't know if it's revealing too much, but um, is there is there any degree of specificity um, that you can talk about about how you would advise if you were, you know, if you had state senators and state representatives, uh, if you had their ear, how how to spend this money? 
Well, we, I mean, we, we don't have a specific agenda for it. I mean, then actually we're having a meeting of our local presidents tomorrow, and part of that will be brainstorming and discussing if we win, what, how we would we want it spent. But the priorities of the MDA have not been a secret for many years. I mean, that we would want to lead a major reinvestment in public higher education, both um, to invest in equality, meaning fair pay for adjuncts, sufficient staff and faculty, um, improved and sustainable green buildings, um, as well as achieving what we once had, which is debt-free public higher education for working-class students. That you know, that's on the public higher ed side. Our at our um, K-12 side, we did win a um, major investment through the Student Opportunity Act a few years back, and the legislature has been fulfilling the kind of steady increase in spending on public schools. And so we want to be sure that that gets this will guarantee that 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 they see through the full seven years of implementation of the Student Opportunity Act. Um, but then there are still there are still more needs, especially coming out of the pandemic. You know, there are many school buildings that uh, are in in bad disrepair that we would want to support. And I and I think we saw coming out of the pandemic the heightened needs of our students, as I mentioned, behavioral specialists, counselors. And we have this just incredible problem. Problem. It's a, to my mind, it's a crime that we have paraprofessionals, education support professionals, in our public schools working full time and um, not making a living wage, barely making even the state's required minimum wage, which will be fifteen dollars on January first, twenty twenty three. So there are a number of needs at the K twelve uh, level as well. Yeah, I mean that's. That's particularly scandalous to me. Uh, so I, I work in a department at UMass Amherst, and we're hiring work-study students for $16 and $17 an hour. And I know that there's paraprofessionals that make less than that. Um, so that just seems scandalous to me. Um, but Max Page, um, MTA president, just one last question before we take a break, but you're going you're gonna to stick around for another segment. Um, the, f the fair share amendment is what we're talking about. It's going to be up for a vote on November uh, 8th. And it's going to designate money for uh, public schools, public transportation. Um, is that going to be guaranteed? How fungible is that? Because I, I know that there have been instances where laws have been passed, maybe not in Massachusetts, but I've certainly heard of it in, in other places where, you know, X and Y is promised. And then really what happens when the legislators get in the room is that they, oh, they, they give all the money to Z. They give it to, you know, to somebody else. Um, so how, how strict is the, the language of the fair share amendment in making sure that this actually goes to you know, public schools and public transportation and doesn't end up like in the hands of charter schools or something like that? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's important is, is this is different than like a regular ballot initiative, which is a piece of legislation and then the legislature makes changes and the like. This is a constitutional amendment. This is built into our state constitution, which is the oldest democratic constitution in the in the world. Uh, so in other words, it has a much higher strength and um, requirement. Furthermore, the legislature um, has voted in favor of putting the fair share amendment to the voters four times over the past four years. Uh, we, can go, we can go into this later if we want. You know, it was supposed to be on the ballot in 2018. It got kicked off. It's back. But the point is the legislature for the last um, four or five years has more than that, six years, has consistently um, voted in favor of this because they want more funds 
for public schools and colleges and transportation. So the, the, the battle will be, of course, as it is in every legislative, legislative debate in, over the budget, is exactly what specific programs, exactly where the money goes. And that's uh, when we come out and win this, the MTA and its allies in the Fair Share Amendment campaign, we will be in a strong position to say the exact ways that we want the money spent. All right. Um, Max Page, MTA president, he's going to stick around. Uh, you're listening to The Bill Newman Showman Show on WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. Hi, I'm Missy Tetro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And we got some exciting news for you. I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. There's still time to get $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person at one of our convenient locations. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. 
This is not Bill Newman. This is Jeff Napolitano. I am sitting in for Bill as he pays his respects at, uh, uh, f- to the Queen in Buckingham Palace. Um, That's not true, just so everybody knows. Like, uh, there's a lot of it? fun things. Like when we say Bill Newman's on the beach, but like he's, uh, he's not a monarchist, so don't worry about it. All right, okay. Um, it's still funny to do it. We can continue to do it. Right. Just for this one moment, for, we're going to acknowledge for, that, for legal reasons. that it's not true. Yeah, there's, there's le- lawyers, <laughs> lawyers at the station pounding on the glass right now. Uh, okay, we are here with Max Page, the president, my president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. We're talking, um, we were just talking about the fair share amendment. And um, I have to say, before we move on to a new topic, I just want to make sure that people vote the right way on uh, November 8th. When this comes before the people of Massachusetts, uh, this is a tax upon the the one percent. In the words of Occupy Wall Street, this is a tax on the richest of the rich people in Massachusetts. Um, so, Max, how should people vote on November eighth? This is question one on the ballot. Yeah, so, so it's yes on one, absolutely. And I want to say, Jeff, that, you know, voting on November eighth or voting whatever early if you do it that way or by mail. Yes, on one, absolutely. But I also want to say that the key thing to do is also help out. And there are a number of canvases, door-to-door canvases that are going on um, in Northampton. There's one on the 14th. There's one on the 20th and the 28th. There's one on Amherst this Saturday, Holyoke on the 15th. I'm not going to go through each one, but I'm going to send people to FairShareMA, FairShareMA.com. And that's, that's the main website. And there will be a way to find out all, where all these canvases are. And of course, Western Mass, I think, is overall will be very supportive. And there's lots of canvases going on out here. It is a fun thing to do. I tell you, I've done a new number of them. You walk in and you say, hi, uh, do you make a million dollars a year? And everyone laughs, right? Yep. Who knows someone makes a million dollars in income. And then you say, how about we tax them a little bit more and have better public schools and colleges? And how about we fix the potholes out front of your house? Yeah, so Monty's Monty's cringing a little bit because I think he might be in that tax bracket. It's so funny sure. that everybody said Max uses that joke all the time too. <laughs> My big thing is: are, Do you think? Do you make a million dollars a year now? No. Do you think in your lifetime you will ever make a million dollars in one year? And almost, I think pretty much everybody I know, the answer to that is no. And so yeah. this is not going to affect you in your wallet. This is going to affect you in front of your house or in your school district. Which is a way of affecting you and your wallet, incidentally, in a yeah, positive exactly. way. exactly. Right. Um, okay, so fairsharemass.org. Um, no, fairsharema.com. Sorry, dot .com. Fairsharema.com. All right. Yeah. M-A, yeah, I said mass uh, automatically. Okay, right. Um, I'm, I'm actually wearing my Bernie Sanders T-shirt today, so I'm, I'm all about taxing, taxing the... Um, the 1%. The 1% of the 1%. Yeah, I wasn't going to do that, but uh, but I'm glad that you I'm you glad I did it. it. Yeah, no, no, I can't do it. it I don't regret it. embarrassing. Um, it, okay. Exactly 60 days from now, so there's a lot to be done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I can't believe yes, it's already like the middle of September. Okay, Max, you touched on another issue that I want to talk about, um, which is money that was designated for schools during COVID. Um, and my understanding is that it's, you know, around the, the federal government put in around uh, half a million dollars, basically on average per school in the United States in order to help with things like ventilation and, um, and you know, overhauling broken systems and so forth to make the schools safer, healthier for kids. And um, I know that those changes have not been implemented in my kids' school here in Northampton. 
Um, and I'm just wondering uh, what you know about that and, and uh, what you think about that. Well, look, during the pandemic, I mean, that, you know, in so many ways, the federal government's actions were enormously helpful. I mean, there was funds to shore up state finances, local finances, schools, public colleges and universities. Those were absolutely essential. And they were, and, and indeed, there was a lot of money that did go into sort of immediate fixes for uh, ventilation systems and the like, as well as providing, you know, um, protective equipment, masks and testing and, and the like. Absolutely essential. That money is coming to an end. And um, we have thousands of school buildings in the state, and there are many, many in small and large disrepair. We have something called the Mass School Building Authority that focuses on um, repairing and building new school buildings. And, you know, in, in many ways, it's great. We have a fair amount of money in it, but they, because of the cost of school buildings, they do about 15 or so major projects a year, like building a new high school, let's say, in in New Bedford or Fall River that happened this past year that was completed. Sure. Uh, but we also, they also have a survey that shows that they have about 250 major renovation or replacement projects on the books. This will take years and years and years yep. to fix. So one of the things a fair share amendment could do is to put, a, is to speed that process up, put more yearly money into the mass school building authority so that we can have um, the, you know, the school building facilities that our, our communities deserve. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's definitely the time to do that. Um, it's past the time to do that. Um, I'm wondering as, as your, um, faithful MTA member, um, and with, uh, two sisters who are teachers, public school teachers, uh, mother who is a retired public school teacher, father who is a public school, uh, retired teacher, cousins who are teachers, what is the MTA's position on, um, on handling and addressing COVID, particularly in, in the schools? Because uh, as I actually remarked a couple of days ago on this show, you know, most people, uh, most students and, and staff and teachers, you got to remember, were pushed back into schools without, without testing, without even testing, like never mind the mitigations, but like without even testing. Um, and this is when the, even the Biden administration is expecting 100 million, a third of the population of the United States to get a case of COVID this fall. And so I'm wondering what the, what the MTA's position on this is. Well, look, our position has been, uh, I mean, we've had an intense focus on health and safety of our schools throughout the pandemic. I think uh, we felt that, uh, well, I mean, people are thrilled to be back in schools, but we feel like there should have been um, more preparation for what's an inevitable uh, fall and winter outbreak again. And so sure. we're pushing for the continued vaccination effort, continued booster effort, as well as um, making tested at state testing still available for those communities uh, that want it and need it. And then we have to be prepared for, for, for taking further actions if yep. there's a big outbreak in the later in the fall. So sure. Um, you know, the state could have discontinued its testing program. It discontinued reporting weekly cases uh, from from schools. We think that was a real mistake. So our our members are, you know, in many cases, really pleased to be back at school in person and hoping that this year is really much better than the past few years. That said, I think we all are going to have to just confront and be ready to, uh, and state needs to be ready to 
help out when there is a, a new a new intensive outbreak. Okay. Uh, thank you, Max. Max Page, my El Presidente of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Thank you for being on. Uh, this is The Bill Newman Show, and we will be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The towns of Buckland and Shelburne will continue to share a police chief under an agreement renewed last month. Chief Greg Bardwell has served as Shelburne's police chief for five years before taking over for Buckland last April. Buckland Select Board member Barry Del Castillo said the towns are still soliciting public opinion regarding a permanent future arrangement. We're currently involved in a, a year-long study with lots of public participation. Del Castillo says the public's input is very valuable. There's an assumption that we're moving towards a merging of the two departments into one. I'm resisting that being a fait accompli because we want the public participation. We don't want the public to think we've already made up our minds. Under the new agreement, the two towns will share the costs of Bardwell's pay and benefits evenly. Elsewhere in Franklin County, the Leverett Police Department took over patrols in Wendell last year, establishing a completely shared department with Wendell paying Leverett for services. The conversion of the Old Town Hall in East Hampton is getting some help. The City Council voted unanimously to use $3.25 million of Community Preservation Act money toward the project. The City plans to turn the 3,500-square-foot space on the upper floor into a flexible performance space that can seat up to 350 people. The total cost of the project is $7.5 million. And the Taste of Northampton is back this weekend. The Downtown Northampton Association will host the Taste on Saturday from noon to 7 p.m. There will still be plenty of delicious food from over 30 vendors, live music, and a beer tent. Main Street from Thorns to the intersection of King and Pleasant Streets will be closed to traffic from 8 a.m. Saturday to 8 a.m. on Sunday. Hi, I'm Nick Oresco. Plenty of sunshine today with temperatures in the upper 70s to right around 80. Mostly clear tonight with lows dropping into the low to mid 50s. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El alcalde de Holyoke, Joshua García, junto con el fiscal de distrito de Hamden, Anthony Guluni, el jefe de policía de Holyoke, David Pratt, y el presidente del Consejo Municipal de Holyoke, Todd McGee, ofrecieron el jueves una conferencia de prensa para discutir los crecientes incidentes de seguridad pública ocurridos en fechas recientes en la ciudad de Holyoke. El alcalde García señaló que han habido cinco homicidios ocurridos este año en la ciudad, dos de ellos recientemente en los pasados días. Por su parte, el fiscal de distrito, Anthony Guluni, expresó que la implementación de herramientas como el detector de disparos ShotSpotter ha sido de mucha ayuda en la investigación de casos en Springfield por los pasados 10 años y calificó de irresponsables las opiniones de oficiales electos que se expresan de forma negativa hacia la policía. Esto es en referencia a comentarios emitidos durante la sesión especial del Consejo Municipal el 1 de septiembre por el concejal José Maldonado Vélez. El jefe de la policía de Holyoke, David Pratt, recalcó que el Departamento de Policía de Holyoke trabajará incansablemente para mitigar la violencia con armas de fuego en la ciudad 
ciudad. Gracias al esfuerzo conjunto del alcalde y el fiscal de distrito, así como la colaboración con otras agencias a nivel estatal y federal. Pese a que la discusión del Consejo de la Ciudad para aceptar fondos federales del Departamento de Justicia por 50 mil dólares fue aplazada en la sesión especial del 1 de septiembre, el presidente del Consejo Municipal, Todd McGee, indicó que esta puede retomarse en futuras sesiones para volver a discutirse y emitir una nueva votación. Por su parte, el alcalde García indicó que independientemente del resultado de esa votación, él va a implementar la iniciativa de instalar el detector de disparos y al mismo tiempo buscar fondos posiblemente de ARPA para aumentar el área de cobertura a un 80% de las zonas donde se reporta el mayor número de incidentes que involucran armas de fuego. Yo soy Johan Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is not Bill Newman. This is Jeff Napolitano. I am sitting in for Bill, who, as we've mentioned before, is paying his respects in the UK right now. Um, we have a See, everyone in the studio believed you when you said that. That's right. That's right. That's okay. okay. That's, that's, the, that's the point. This is, this is, this is what we call compelling, you know, Newman. funny radio here. Totally. Um, so um, uh, we have a bunch of guests in the studio to talk about the taste of Northampton. Um, and here to introduce our guests and talk about this is Alan Wolf, the chief of staff here in Northampton. So we're granted with our own form of royalty this morning. Yeah, right. We um, had a president of a union and now we got the chief of staff. So yeah. you're like the prince of Northampton if, oh. if GL yeah. is the queen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, hi, uh, I'm Alan Wolf, I'm Mayor Sherr's Chief of Staff. I am joined by Annie Lesko, the Mayor's Economic Development Coordinator, Deb Flynn from the Eastside Grill, and Amy Kaling, the Director of the Downtown Northampton Association. Dean Amy. Yes, and we are so excited to um, be part of the team that is bringing back the Taste of Northampton um, for the first time since, I think, 2004 to Main Street this time. And we are closing Main Street from essentially the Rainbow Crosswalk to King and Pleasant. So you'll still be able to get around it pretty easy. Uh, and Amy has loaded up that portion of the street with exciting restaurants and vendors and also... and. Uh, Brian Foote with the Arts and Culture Department has put a stage up and is going to have a bunch of bands and buskers and all sorts of things we are excited uh, to I'll let Amy talk about a little more. Um, but really this came about because before the pandemic there was a group of restaurants and folks including DNA and city department heads who wanted to bring back the taste. It was a beloved event for all of the 90s and into the early aughts. Um, and then the pandemic hit and that plan got put on hold. And then there was a very strong sense that this would be a great idea in our recovery period, um, but that the restaurants really shouldn't ex shoulder the expense on their own. So Mayor Shera directed Annie and I, with Amy's help, to go write a grant uh, and we approached the Re Regional Economic Development Organization who came up with $50,000 to support this event. So we are paying For, we're closing Main Street, we're providing trash removal, public works, and public safety services. We wait, we've ra waived regulations, we've offered free inspections from every city department. And the first thing we did was hire Amy to help put it on, which was the best move we ever could have done. Um, so we're super excited for uh, this weekend's event. And Amy, why don't you talk more about what, what they'll find? Uh, sure. So we have, um, I think we're up to 29 vendors, restaurants, um, that includes Places like Eastside Grill, um, Paul and Elizabeth's, um, newcomers like Wine Witch, um, places that don't have a brick-and-mortar spot like um, Fed by Foley, who does charcuterie boards. 
We have um, wine, beer, and cider that's coming from um, Building 8, Artifact Cider, Mineral Hills, Drawing Board Brewing Company, and Progression Brewing. Um, we'll have the live music that Alan mentioned. Um, we have family-friendly entertainment. So A to Z is going to come do some bubble games. We have Scotty Swan, a magician, um, coming to perform. So we can bring our we can bring our children to this. If it we, is if very family friendly. We are unfortunate um, enough to have children. We can bring them. Yes, <laughs> um, you can, and then you can uh, enjoy an alcoholic beverage to try and dull that pain, but just bring your exactly. ID because you'll get carded. Or you can bring an older child like mine, and then he can become your designated. <laughs> <laughs> Live in the dream, Monty. Yeah, yeah. we've hit that crossroad. <laughs> Um, so, so lots of entertainment, lots of restaurants, lots of beverages. Lots and I'm of not music. sure if we we said exactly, but this Saturday, tomorrow, 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 twelve to seven. Twelve to seven. We're closing Main Street starting at eight, so don't be alarmed if you come downtown. Um, but as Alan said, there's plenty of ways to get around. It's just that um, last block of Main Street before King and Pleasant. All right. Um, and so, what other what other things can people expect or? What's on your menu, Deb? Yeah. What are you going to be bringing from Eastside Grill? Well, for everybody who remember what Eastside Grill was during the old taste, forget it. No gorgonzola garlic bread and no blackened scallops. Very sad day. Sorry. But, <laughs> but we do have our blueberry carrot cake. We're doing the barbecued shrimp with grits and also a chicken and shrimp jambalaya. All right. Yeah. Oh. The person who used to uh, run the restaurant that you now run was instrumental in the previous incarnation of The Taste, and probably something worth mentioning as well, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think we really are hoping to put on an event that, that Danny Acuso uh, and Charles Bowles, Chuck Bowles, uh, would be proud of. Uh, you know, they were among the team that brought the old taste, uh, and we're really trying to remember the great things that they did as we planned this event this year. So it's very exciting. Yeah, I would say that um, Dan's shoes are impossible to fill, and um, Mayor Shiera yesterday referred to this as the bite-sized taste, and I feel like that's the perfect um, way of thinking about this, that we couldn't possibly do an event um, the way that Dan did, but this is our first um, baby step at bringing back what we hope becomes a new annual reimagined taste. Yeah, that was, that was my qu next question, was like, is this going to be... Every year from here on, is that the is that the hope? That is the hope. I, I that's my hope. That at is least. absolutely the hope. Yes. I mean, at seven oh five tomorrow night, I might not be in the mood to say that, but yes, absolutely. I think um, we're trying to make it a scale that's feasible for restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, staffing's really hard. Prices are expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so I think um, making it a one day event as opposed to the three or four day event that it had grown to makes it a little bit more manageable, at least um, while we rev back up in these post COVID. And putting it right in the center of Main Street, I think, makes it a, a slightly more exciting thing. And also, I just want to really give a shout out to everyone who put this together. We've had a little bit less than two months with the, the way state funding works. They gave us this grant and said, you have to spend it by the end of the year in July. And so in a, on an incredibly short timeline, um, everyone, Amy, Annie, Lesko here with me, um, the restaurants, the vendors, the arts and culture department, uh, city departments, volunteers, and everyone who had a hand did this in an incredible amount of time and I hope everyone comes down to enjoy all of this wonderful stuff so that we can keep this going year after year going forward. All right. You said there were 29 restaurants or vendors that'll be there. What about the musical entertainment? We heard Scotty Swan, my friend of mine, puppeteer, magician, but uh, yes, what about amazing. other music? Uh, we have music booked all afternoon. So I believe that there are 
four different bands playing a total of five sets, plus uh, the DJ who does Salsa in the Park is also oh, going nice. to be DJing for a bit, and the dance floor will be down. And we have a hula hooper we're putting over by the dance floor, too, so if you have your littles or if you just enjoy a good hula hooping moment. If you um, want to work off the food in real time, you can hula hoop. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, And also, if anyone is interested in volunteering for this event, uh, go to the city's webpage or the Taste of Northampton web uh, Facebook group, uh, and there is a link that you can sign up to volunteer one of three four-hour shifts. There's, I'm looking at the map of downtown for tomorrow, and the, there's a stage, and there's a dance floor, and a public seating area, and all sorts of, I mean, this is, this is going to be the party. This is going to be the place to be tomorrow um, in the afternoon. Um, all right. Thank you so much, Alan Wolf, Annie Lesko, Amy Kaylane, and Deb Flynn, here for the Taste of Northampton tomorrow in downtown Northampton. Uh, this is the Bill Newman Show. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues, our demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well with Without unnecessary risk, Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Sign up for Will Bike for Food, the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts annual cycling fundraiser presented by Stop and Shop. Every dollar raised provides four meals for those at risk of hunger. Ride 10, 25, 50, or even 100 miles on Sunday, September 25th, or ride your own miles on your own time throughout September. Registration is just 40 bucks and includes a t-shirt and an all-access pass to the C.E. Floyd after party with food, drinks, live music, and more. Sign up or donate to a team or individual at willbikeforfood.org. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at winesicknursery.com. 
a little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, Sundays at noon, 101.5, WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is not Bill Newman. This is Jeff Napolitano. I'm sitting in for Bill, um, but it is Friday, so it is time for Artbeat. And with Artbeat is Donabel Cassis. Donabel, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for covering this week. I, I don't think I've actually worked with you at all, so this is a new thing for me. Oh no! Yeah, uh, this is um, this is my pleasure. First of all, and um, and yeah, the the station management here has been looking for sort of younger, more interesting talent, and so uh, they're trying me out while Bill Bill's away for for the day. And instead of having one bald Italian, now you get two bald Italians yeah. to talk to. Yeah. Whoa, it's kind of bright in here. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yes. So back to Artby. Um, in 15 days, Florence Night Out will take over the streets of downtown Florence. And a signature feature of this art street festival are mobile art boxes, which feature immersive art installations in unexpected places. Joining us today is Dr. Sarah Stefana Smith, one of the artists who will bring their art to the people. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Donabelle. I'm excited to be a part of Florence Night Out. Oh my gosh, it's an honor. Now, Sarah, you are an artist scholar currently teaching as an assistant professor at Mount Holyoke College. Can you tell our listeners a little about your research and work? Yeah, um, so I work at the intersections of Black cultural studies, um, visual studies and aesthetics, um, using Black feminism and queer of color critique. But I'm really interested in questions of power, art mm. and nation. And so across my written research work and my studio practice, these are sort of the themes that I'm exploring. And the ways that I like to do that is by thinking with contemporary African-American um, Black women and queer artists. Mm. Um, in terms of sort of my broader um, sort of research, I am currently working on a book project that is Ooh. looking at the work of three contemporary African-American artists and three Black South African artists for what kinds of relational conversations we can have about their individual practices across national borders. Now, these two regions have some, you know, historical violences that are connected, but they're also geopolitically very different. And so mm -hmm. I'm in this project trying to invite a conversation around how it can be meaningful to look at these two spaces um, for the kinds of work that Black women are doing now and how that might invite us to think about new ways of being and belonging in the world. Well, speaking of Black women and history and power in Black culture, your art installation for Florence Night Out will explore something specific about a particular person in Florence history. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm new here. So this is my third year in, in the area. And one of the things I came to know was that Sojourner Truth spent a considerable amount of time in Florence, Massachusetts. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm interested in power, art and nation, but also I'm, I'm interested in space and what place tells us about ourselves and what we can learn from that. And so a lot of my practice draws on, um, how we might think about history, how we might how we might think about historical figures, and how we might think about that in visual vocabularies. What I can say to you, though, in relation to the installation, it will probably be surprising. It won't explicitly um, map a representation of Sojourner Truth, but Sojourner Truth, um, histories of the Underground Railroad that are in this region, David Ruggles, folks that were involved in the Northampton um, Association of Education and Industry, African-American mm. presence are things that I'm thinking about within the installation. And there are mm. ways that I um, tend to evoke the presence of Black folks. Um, mm. I. I know that you'll be asking me some other questions, but <laughs> I kind of started as a photographer. And so the visual representation was very interesting to me. And now um, if you have a chance to see the work that I do now, it's very abstract. It's very um, different. Um, and so I look forward to people's response to the work. Now, if you haven't seen Dr. Smith's work, you, you need to go to her website, their website because it is just incredible. Now, what I've seen on there is that you work with a variety of materials like safety netting, chicken wire, fishing line, among others. Why do you use these materials and what will you be using for this installation for Florence Night Out? Yeah, so I, I certainly appreciate this question because I'm interested in materials and I'm interested mm -hmm. in materiality and that relationship between the actual material, what the material does and how it kind of can exceed certain kinds of things. And um, so let me kind of give you a little bit of an antidote. Um, I, so I use bird and chicken netting. And if you're not familiar with it, you could totally Google it and you'll get a sense of what it looks like. But typically it's this sort of netted grid-like lattice material. It's a kind of plastic that is used to protect crops. People will put mm -hmm. it on trees and bushes. Um, and so I actually discovered this material when I was in graduate school writing my dissertation, thinking about um, Black women and queer artists. Um, and I discovered this material because I lived in a high rise. And people would put bird netting on their balconies to keep pigeons from nesting. And so it wasn't lost on me that this material was a barrier. It was a gate. It was a, it was a line of demarcation. And yet when light would hit it, it would it was beautiful it, so it was this sort of grotesque and beautiful material that both invited a conversation about entanglement about network about capture mm -hmm. about disrupting mm -hmm. capture um mm -hmm. and so it, it's it's kind of a material that i'm obsessed with it's it's the through line for my practice because it mm -hmm. allows me to think about broader conceptual concerns networks mm -hmm. relationships non-relationships mm -hmm. what does it mean between human and species. Um, and sort so of the, in these barriers. And so the absolutely. amazing thing is that this material is very accessible. I mean, you can get it anywhere and it's malleable. You, it has, you know, unlimited possibilities. And, and if you 
go to sarahstefanasmith.com, yep. you can see the imagery of these sculptures. A lot of these are sculptures and installations, and they are just gorgeous. You have transformed, you've created an alchemy with this simple material that is stunning quite stunning and quite powerful. So I just wanted to say that. Um, but um, but what are, so you're, are you using that material for this art installation for Florence Night Out or are you using something different? Oh, it's gonna show up in there. Um, one of the ways that I tend to kind of do installation is I kind of have, especially when it's site specific, I kind of have a bunch of components that I bring mm -hmm. together and on site I sort of think about it conceptually. Um, so it becomes this sort of assemblage of a lot of different sort of components. So you might see elements where I, I make these larger wall pieces that have bird netting in various kinds of materials. And then I also make um, um, smaller globes and components of it. I'm thinking about experimenting with light and projection. That's something that I often do. Um, and then I'm, I kind of want to have a takeaway to give folks. So I, I have an idea in mind mm. that I would say, because I want to make sure that I can deliver on it. <laughs> what? You don't want to say a little bit about it? Just, I mean, I, because I, 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 saw, I saw your writing about it. And I was like, ooh, how? How will they do that? I'm thinking about um, creating some small carte vis which are so one of the thing, one of the things that's so dope about Sojourner Truth, in addition to sort of her her oratory practice was she was really savvy. And so she would sell these small photo cards of herself in order to um, support her, her endeavors. And the, these photo cards had the caption, I sell the substance to support the shadow. Um, mm. I said that right. Wow. Um, but, you know, really powerful. And so my, I, my idea is that I want to either, I want to sort of, create some of those um, for folks to 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 engage with partly because I think there's also this interest my interest is also in the circulation and movement mm -hmm. and migration which is so connected to you know how and where and in what ways black folks were able and not able to move and then what that looks like in a contemporary moment mm. well it's also fascinating that you'll be creating this installation in a container yeah uh, you know i mean there's no loss in conception there uh but you know in this mobile art box which is basically a storage pod that is like eight by eight by 16 feet you're going to create this immersive installation that people can walk through in a very engaging and unique way and i you know i i'm I'm excited about the challenge that you've taken on here to kind of address these issues in these parameters. So will these things, these, what do you, what are they called? Cart, uh, cart, cart de vis, viset. Cart I hope I'm saying that right. V-I-S-I-T-E, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Cart de vis. So that will these be something that folks can take away with them when they leave or that's how is it? Yeah, that's what I'm envisioning that it's a takeaway. I was also thinking of broadsides also, which which are which were sort of announcements of, of that time. And there's some really interesting ones that I was able to see when I went to the David Ruggle Center. So um, which is all, oh. which is also in Florence. So yeah. Oh my gosh, if you haven't been to the David Ruggle Center, you must go. It is such a valuable research resource for 
sort of abolitionist history in Florence. Florence has such a lengthy um, history in many of the area, you know, buildings. And you can go on these tours and obviously go to the David Ruggle Center and see some of this history. Um, but I really want you to go see Dr. Sarah Stefana Smith's mobile art installation. And you can do that by going to Florence Night Out, which is Saturday, September 24th in downtown Florence. It's from 4 to 7 p.m. all over Main Street, North Maple, and Maple Street. Those streets will be closed to traffic for the street festival. Um, for more information, go to florencenightout.org. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing your work with us today. Thanks and for having me. Of course. And also, thank you to Florence Night Out sponsors, DIY Mobile Box, Mass General Brigham Cooley Dickinson Hospital, who sponsored your art installation, Fink in Paris Insurance, and Florence Bank. We can't wait to see it. All right. Donabel Cassis with Artbeat. Dr. Sarah Stefana Smith. I uh, just want to, I've been looking at your website. It's great. Everybody should go with it. It's Sarah with an H, stefanasmith.com. Um, thank you so much. You've been listening to The Bill Newman Show here on WHMP. Uh, Bill should be back from the UK in uh, the, the Queen's funeral on by Monday. So, oh my goodness, we will see everybody. <laughs> he didn't really go to the Queen's funeral, everybody. Okay. I know, I know. <laughs> right. Have a great weekend. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye. He's like, I'm powerful with a little bit of tender and emotional sexual bender. Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better. There's nothing better. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way. We're now a mile and a half above the Greenfield drinking supply. There is a uh, dump that's been up here probably for many decades. So we're interested in drawing attention to this because as I said, it is a source of the Greenfield drinking supply. So this is the Whetstone Brook. It's one of the tributaries to the Connecticut River. It flows up from the hills at like Hogback and Marlborough down east until it meets the Connecticut River right in the middle of downtown Marlborough. It's pretty heavily impacted when it gets into town here because it's an urban river. Like all of our waterways, it deserves our care and attention. The Connecticut River Conservancy's Source to Sea Cleanup is September 23rd and 24th. It's Monty. You can join me on the 24th for the Green River portion of the cleanup or find a cleanup near you by going to ctriver.org. The Northampton Radio Group's support of the Source to Sea Cleanup is made possible by UMass Five College Credit Union and USA Waste and Recycling. Join the Source to Sea Cleanup. Sign up at ctriver.org. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's